listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. We're going to get into this teaching on how you can make March the best month of this year to date. And of course, we're believing that April is going to be better than March. But how? You know, the question, I always quote those verses. We always talk about never-ending increase. And then people have uh, questions like, hey, how do I make sure that's my story? How do I make sure never-ending increase is what we experience in our household? You know, it's, it's not just something you say, you know, we're just believing for never ending. How do you act, actually activate that as a believer? That's important because, you know, not everything, these things are not automatic. You know, they don't just automatically fall on every believer. We know that's not the case because there's plenty of Christians who are not walking in never ending increase. So we're going to talk about it today. How can we make March uh, the greatest year, the greatest month of the year we've had to date? Good to see my father-in-law, Larry Heck, is on. Caleb Young, love you. Good to have you. It's right. It's going to have, we're going to, the rubbed on. Hallelujah. Um, (laughs) And so it's important to talk about this because if you were to listen to many Christian shows, television shows, many people preach, you would get the idea that once you get saved, all of these things just automatically start uh, happening in your life. Get, and then what happens is if you believe that kind of teaching, then when they don't happen for you, you get extremely frustrated, angry, uh, you know, whatever, that, that it's not. And you're like, what's my problem? Because I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian and none of those things aren't happening for me. Just keep in mind, these things are never random and they are never automatic. They are obtained by actions of faith. They're obtained by actions of faith. And so that's what we're talking about today. Very important subject. And I'm believing for you and I'm going to pray for you at the end of today's broadcast and believe God with you that this without question will be the best month you've ever had in Jesus name. And it just in keeping with our theme for the year, it's a year of violent increase and expedited favor, violent increase and expedited favor. That's going to be your story. In fact, those that are watching, I want you to reestablish, reaffirm that by your faith. Put it in the comments section, say it out loud. This is my year of violent increase. I want you to put it in the comments. This is my year of violent increase. It's good to see uh, Delight on from Nigeria. Good to have you. And so we're going to get started with this today. I want you to see it with me. Very, very, very important um, let's go together to 2 Samuel. I'm going to start in the Old Testament today. 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is one of my favorite, favorite passages of Scripture. 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is a story of David. King David has, by the way, just become king of Israel. And he he's made up in his mind. Now, I love this thought process. David has made up in his mind, although I'm now the king, I am not going to be the king 
of a nation that has no supernatural power. I'm not going to be the king of a nation that has no supernatural power. He understood, and, and obviously it's we know he's a man after God's own heart. He's a man that understood his necessity, uh, the necessity to have God as the main focal point of your life, ministry, uh, endeavor, whatever you do. He said, I can't just be the king of this nation without the power of God filling the nation. And at the time, the Ark of the Covenant was not in Jerusalem. It was outside of Jerusalem. It had been moved out of the, uh, of the nation. And so David makes up in his mind, first order of business, now that I'm the king, we're going to move the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Very, very smart move on his part. We're going to move the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Now, there's a couple of things I do want to say here um, regarding the Ark of the Covenant, and that is in the Old Testament, those of you that are, you read your Bible and you know you've, you've been studying the word, the, the Ark of the Covenant was where the presence and power of God dwelt or dwelled. No, dwelt. Um, in that, in that day, because nobody could be filled with the Holy ghost. Uh, in fact, this is Jesus reason for saying, I cannot put new wine into old wine skins. What he was saying is I can't pour the Holy spirit out into unregenerated physical bodies and spirits, because if I do that power would just destroy you. I have to first shed my blood, provide redemption so that people by faith can come into the kingdom and become new creatures in Christ. Then once someone is a new creation in Christ, that's 2 Corinthians 5, 17, then they are qualified to receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The power of God from heaven can now fill you. Why can it fill you now? Because you're now, you've been changed into a supernatural being. And so Jesus even said that in the gospels. He said, I can't pour new wine into old wine skins. They would burst. And so because that was the case throughout the entire Old Testament, no one could be uh, literally filled, permanently filled with the Holy Ghost because they, they couldn't handle it. So what did God do? He allowed the power of his spirit to be in the tabernacle, he allowed the power of his spirit to be in the Ark of the Covenant. And he said, if you'd carry the Ark out in front of you to battle or wherever you go, my spirit will be with you and I'll fight your battles for you. So when we talk about the Ark of the Covenant in this context today, I want you to keep in mind, it is representative of the power and the presence of Almighty God. It is representative of the power and the presence of Almighty God. Well, one of the things that I do want you to know, maybe you've heard me talk a little bit about it before, is that there are three things that were found inside of the Ark of the Covenant. Three elements were kept inside the box. And the Ark of the Covenant really was not a very big container. You know, it was about like two and a half feet by a foot, something like that. Not, not massive, but it was carried on poles because no one was to touch it because it was God's anointing. But inside that box, there were three different things. And I want you to think about this. The first thing that was inside the Ark of the Covenant was 
the Ten Commandments, the tablets of the Ten Commandments. That's God's order. That's representative of God's order. The second thing that was in the Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's rod that sprouted or budded, the Bible says, uh, even after it was cut down, it still continued to grow uh, and bud supernaturally. And Aaron's rod speaks of God's authority. You think about when they stood in front of Pharaoh and he had Aaron throw the rod down and it turned into a serpent and swallowed up all the other uh, staffs of the, uh, of the magicians in the court as their staffs turned into uh, serpents as well. That speaks of God's authority and that was inside the Ark of the Covenant. And then finally, a golden pot filled with manna from heaven, which was God's provision for his people. So the three things that were in the anointing of the Lord were the order of God, the authority of God, and the provision of God. I want you to write those in the comments if you're watching. It's the order of God, or you can just write order, authority, provision. Order, authority, provision. Those are the three elements that were in the Ark of the Covenant. Order, authority, provision. Very important that you understand these because these are the things that you want to have in your house. You want order in your house, <laughs> I mean, without question. You want order. You want authority. And you want provision. No question. Or Thank you. That's right. Uh, order, authority, provision. And so it's very important that you understand that those things are found in the anointing. Um. Now you can better understand why David would want to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He wants order in the kingdom. He wants authority in the kingdom. He wants provision in the kingdom. You can't neglect the anointing of God and expect to have never-ending increase. And so look at David's heart. Look at the heart of the man <clears throat> who was a man after God's own heart. I desire the anointing. That's David's stance. I desire the anointing. And so <clears throat> that's where we come uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 6. He makes up his mind, I am going to bring the ark back. And look at this. The Bible says, Then David again gathered all the elite troops in Israel, 30,000 in all. I'm starting with verse 1 of 2 Samuel 6. And he led them to uh, Bala of Judah, to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. And they placed the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart that carried the ark of God. Ahio walked in front of the ark. David and all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. That was disobedience because you don't touch the ark of God. And the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah and God struck him dead because of this. 
So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. Now look at this. David was angry because of the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah and he named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah as it is still called this day. Uh, Verse nine, and David was now afraid of the Lord and asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care? So David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, now this is such a huge part, catch this. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. That's where Goliath is from, by the way. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. I'm going to stop there. David went back to Jerusalem and left the ark of God with a connection that he had in Gath, Obed-Edom. Obviously, this was not David's enemy. It was his friend, or else he would not have agreed to watch over and curate the Ark of the Covenant. And so he leaves it there for three months, goes back to Jerusalem. Now look at this. And the Bible says, verse 11, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because, why? Because of the ark of God. This is so important. I want to see if I, I, to see if I had a uh, magazine close by. I don't think that I do. No, I don't. But if you received our magazine uh, for the winter edition, <clears throat> and I wrote that, article on violent increase, you'll see that I not only quoted this passage from 2 Samuel 6, but also the the passage from Chronicles that tells the same story. Very important that you see it because it doesn't just say that he blessed Obed-Edom, but he blessed his entire household. Everybody in the house was blessed. Not to mention when you go to Chronicles, what you'll find out is that he didn't just bless them. He blessed their possessions Everything that they owned was blessed by God because of what? The fact that they were willing to guard and curate the Ark of the Covenant. That's the anointing of the Holy Ghost. And so what are we teaching today? That if you want to see in March the greatest month that you've ever seen in the history of your life, what is it going to take at the foundational level? At the foundational level, and there's a lot that goes into this, I'll unpack it in a minute, but at the foundational level, it's going to be you honoring the anointing of God in your household, guarding the anointing of God in your household. Now that's violent increase. You think about what God did for Obed-Edom. blessed his entire household abundantly and all of their possessions in three months. In three months. Now think about this. This is the third month of 2020. This is the third month. And and I actually started prophesying back in, in 2019 at the end of the year. How many of you can believe that before March 31st comes to an end, you'll see the greatest quarter that you've ever seen in the history of your Christian life uh, as we stand believing for violent increase. 
We're in the third month right now. And believing God for increase on our homes, on our children, on our possessions, on our jobs, on our minds, on our health. Everything that we have belongs to the Lord. And we're believing God, Lord, in this month, in this month, bless us so abundantly that people's heads will turn and they will see only God could have done that. That's, listen, by the way, that's the kind of blessing I want to have. Listen, I don't want to have some little blessing that can be swept under the rug. I'm not believing for that and neither should you be. I'm not, I have no desire to have some sort of a blessing that someone could point at it and say, that's man-made because God doesn't get the glory. God doesn't get the glory. My desire is for God to get all the glory for what he does in my life. And I know that's your desire too. But, but think about that. It is my desire for God to get all the glory for what he does in my life. I don't, that's why I don't want to believe him for things that are so small that he doesn't get any glory, that it could be attributed to a man or attributed to a doctor or attributed to a financial planner or, or attributed to some counseling. I don't want that. I want God to bless me to such a degree that only he can get the glory for what he does. And that's what we're believing for in March. There's my friend, Pastor Danny Haas. Love you. And so I want you to believe this with me. David brought the ark back. And as he was coming back to Jerusalem, he left it in Obed-Edom's house, who was willing to guard the anointing. You must be willing to guard the anointing of God, to keep it in your home to do what it takes to guard that anointing. Why do you say to guard the anointing? It's not that God needs your help uh, for you to guard him against enemies. What I'm saying is there are people, there are uh, uh, situations that will literally try to come in and override the anointing that's in your home. One of the things that we have to learn to do if we're going to be blessed is we've got to learn how to strictly guard our relationships. This is so important to strictly guard our relationships. I can't tell you how many times I have seen people lose a miracle, miss a miracle, whatever you want to say, because they're attached to people who refuse to believe God's word. And not only refuse to believe it, will speak against it, speak against their miracle, speak against God's word. I've seen it so many times. It's almost like, and and I've talked to others about this, it's almost like there are people that the enemy will attach to you to literally keep you in bondage. It's it's insane. And pastors that are watching, you know what I'm talking about. It's like you're believing for somebody in your church, you're believing for this believer to get free, to, to step into the greater things of God. And it seems like the enemy always attaches a person or people to that person to keep them out of what God's plan for their life. It's frustrating to watch. And we can't govern that for them, but what we can do is warn them that you have to be guarded about your relationships. Isn't it interesting that David already had a relationship with someone in Gath who he knew would be willing to guard the anointing? Isn't that interesting? that he didn't have to begin a six-month search 
throughout the kingdom for people that were willing to guard the anointing in their home. David didn't have to do that. He said, listen, I've got a connection here. I know that he'll guard the anointing. I know he'll keep it for me and watch over it while I'm uh, figuring out what to do next. And Obed-Edom was right there. David already knew who to go to, already knew who he should uh, ask. We need to have people in our lives. Let me break it down even further. <clears throat> the Bible teaches us that, and this you can find this, by the way, in the book of Proverbs, uh, chapter 27, I believe it is. Let's go there. Proverbs 27. And this is very important because this is one of the number one things I see that's caused, that causes people to miss out on the blessing God has planned for their life. I don't want to see you miss, miss out in Jesus' name. You will not miss out on your blessing in Jesus' name. Proverbs 27 and verse 17, the Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. The kind of friends that you should have should be ones that are sharpening you, not dulling you. I want friends that will sharpen me and not dull me. <clears throat> Amen. That's Proverbs 27, 17. Proverbs 27, 17. And so I want friends. If you're taking notes, that would be a great thing to write down. I don't want friends that will dull me. I want friends that will sharpen me. And let me tell you something. <clears throat> there are people that will dull your blade. I've seen them. I've encountered them. I've made up my mind that I don't want them in my life. Not doesn't mean I don't love them. Doesn't mean I'm not believing for God's best in their life. It just means that while they may be serving the Lord, you know, they may be on their way to heaven. I don't have time for that kind of foolishness. I'm believing for God to do big things. And I don't have time for people that are going to try to talk me out of my blessing, talk me out of my healing, talk me out of my miracle. Oh, you don't really believe. You know, and then always, <clears throat> this is keep your eyes open for this because it always shows up in the disguise of care for you. Oh, brother, you know, I, I would really hate for you to get your hopes up, you know, believing for that miracle and then it doesn't come to pass. You know, I'd really, I'd hate to see your hopes dashed. Oh, I'd really hate... I'd really hate to see, you know, you believing for that breakthrough and that doesn't come through. You know, just keep an open mind. They'll, they'll say stuff like this. Just, you know, keep an open mind. You know, sometimes it always doesn't happen. You know, sometimes it does. You know, God doesn't all, Sometimes he sovereignly picks and chooses who he'll bless. And, oh, listen, I'd hate to see your hopes dashed. Don't let those people in. <clears throat> Don't let those people in. Cut them out. Say, hey, love you, God bless you. I'm believing for greater things. I don't have time to sit around and, and have wishy-washy belief system. I don't, I don't have I don't have time for it. I don't, you know why? Because <clears throat> the book of James says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Do not let that man think he will receive anything of the Lord. Not one thing. Not one thing. So keep this in mind. <clears throat> if you have a double-minded thought process, you cannot receive anything from the Lord. Why? Faith is single-minded. Faith is single-minded. 
Let me give you a very, very practical example. If I went down, if I went to sit down in this chair today, but didn't have the faith that it would hold me up, and I just kept on raising, lowering, never actually sitting down, changing my well, maybe I should sit. Oh, it can't hold me. I'll stand up. Oh, I should sit. Maybe, no, I'll stand up. I'll never actually sit in the chair because I can never make up my mind whether or not it will hold me. And so I'll never actually get to the action of sitting down because I'm double-minded in my belief system. That's an extremely simplified example. But think about how much more pensive people are when it comes to stage four cancer or when it comes to, you know, believing God for some kind of a, a restoration in their marriage or something, you know, and that they're going to believe. And then you got people around you. Well, don't get your hopes up, brother. You know, don't get your hopes up. Sometimes God doesn't come through. Where does it, where does it say that in the Bible that sometimes God doesn't come through? And, I, and so I want you to see the people who are around you are so vital to what you can receive from the Lord. Very, very vital. I'm going to give you probably the most extreme case in the New Testament. This is probably the most extreme case you'll see. And those of you are writing, I can see people are already typing it in the comments. Faith is single-minded. You can comment. Faith is single-minded. Listen to this. This is Mark chapter 2, the gospel of Mark chapter 2. Listen. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, <clears throat> even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, <clears throat> verse three, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him in to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus, seeing their faith. Watch this. He said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Now, I want you to catch this because this is such an important story in regard to catching a miracle from the Lord because of who you've got around you or missing a miracle because of who you've got around you. Very, very important. Watch this. The Bible says that as these men, now, now keep in mind, the man on the mat was paralyzed. He could not get where he needed to go by himself. Thank God that this man <clears throat> had four other friends that had just as much faith in Jesus as he had. Thank God that he had just, not just anybody around him, he had faith-filled friends around him. How do I know they were faith-filled? Well, one, because of their actions. Two, because of what the Bible says about them. But look at this. These men each grabbed a corner of his mat and carried him. We don't have any record of them saying, well, you know, we'll try to take you there, but you just never know. You know, Jesus is a busy man and he, he, he may not even have a desire to heal you. We don't have any of that foolishness in this passage. All we have is the picture of these four men picking up the mat, carrying it to Jesus. And the Bible says, now catch this very important point. 
The Bible says that when they got to the house, there was not enough room to get inside. So what did they do? This is so big for you. What did they do? The Bible says they climbed to the roof. Now, let me just make a point here. For this, for this man to get a miracle, he had to go to the next level. I want you to think about it. He had to go to the next level to get his miracle. But remember this, he didn't just have to go to the next level. His friends had to go to the next level. And I'm speaking to people watching me right now because you've got people in your life who you have a desire to go higher. You've got a desire to please the Lord. You've got a desire to do all that God's called you to do. But the people hanging with you have zero desire to go to another level. No desire to go up, to go higher in God, to go deeper in God. And so they're there, but they're actually restricting you from doing what God's called you to do and receiving his blessings. Not only did this man have to go to another level, all of his friends had to go to another level. They all went up and when they got to the roof, the friends, not the paralyzed man, he couldn't tear the roof. He's paralyzed. The friends dug a hole through the roof. Catch this. The friends dug a hole and then the friends lowered him down into the place where Jesus was teaching. And I love this. Now, now watch this. Verse five is so important to you. Mark two, five, seeing their faith. That's the men, the friends seeing their faith. He said to the man, now this is so powerful. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man. So I want you to catch this. It, you can have friends, connections, loved ones that can have faith that will kickstart your miracles. Or you can have people in your life that suck the faith literally out of the room, suck the faith out of your life and your circumstance, what you're believing for. I've made up my mind that those in my life will be those that are willing to tear the roof off. Those that are in my life are going to be the ones that are willing to, to go higher with me and not sit there and complain as I desire to go to another level. And that's what happened for this man. He had people of faith carrying him. Oh man, I could preach on that for like two hours. I've got people of faith carrying me. I want people of faith carrying me. I want people of faith carrying me. So vital. That's what you want. That's what I want. People of faith carrying me. Now, I'll show you the exact opposite. Mark chapter five, you just go uh, a couple, uh, three, three chapters over. And the Bible says that uh, Jairus comes to find Jesus um, to come and heal his daughter who's sick as they're going to the man's house. Now, I love this. <clears throat> as they're going to Jairus's house, a messenger comes and says, don't even bother the master any longer. Your daughter's dead. Your daughter is dead. That's verse 35 of Mark 5. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Now, let's learn a lesson from Jesus here. Because Jesus obviously understood this principle. So let's learn a lesson from Jesus. 
Because Jesus is going to defeat what Paul called the final enemy, which is death. Death is the final enemy, according to scripture. Jesus is on his way to a situation to defeat the final enemy. The girl had died, but Jesus said to her father, don't be afraid, only believe. And look at this. The Bible says, Jesus, verse 37, look at Jesus, what he does. Jesus stopped the crowd and would not let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. So hold on a second. Jesus had 12 disciples whom he had breathed upon. Think this is so huge. Get this. He had filled them with his spirit. He'd given them authority over demons. He'd given them authority over sickness and disease. He'd given them authority to do the works he did. But when it came to raising the dead, Jesus said, you're all not qualified to go with me. I only have three disciples that are qualified to go with me on this mission to raise the dead. This is such a big point. Catch this. Not even all of Jesus' disciples were at the level they needed to be to perform this miracle. So what did Jesus do? He cut the group down. He cut the group down into the group that could do what he was believing to do. He would not allow. Look at verse 37. He stopped the crowd. He stopped the crowd and would not allow anyone to go with him except Peter, James, and John. Verse 38, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, he saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. And he went inside and asked, how come all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. And they laughed at him, verse 40. But he, now look at this. Verse 40 is another important point. And he made them all leave. Jesus did that? Jesus did that? Kick people out? of this house, Jesus. He made them all leave. Notice two things Jesus did before he raised the dead in this passage. Notice, so, so important. And most Christians never get this. They never get this. Number one, he stopped the crowd and restricted who could go further with him. And when he got there, he rebuked the crowd and restricted who could stay with him. Now this is huge. He restricted who could go with him and he restricted who could stay with him. Only Peter, James, John, and Jairus were allowed to go further in the crowd. When he got to the house, every mocker had to leave. That's something you may want to write down. Every mocker had to leave. This is a huge point if you're operating in miracles. Every mocker had to leave. They laughed and mocked him, but he made them all leave. And look who was left. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room. That's it. That is it. Father and mother, why? They were both believing for the miracle. The father and mother weren't mocking. They wanted their daughter back. Father and mother, then what? the three disciples that had faith, and Jesus. Now, I'm going to show you something maybe you've never seen before, but guess how many people were in the room to work the miracle on the dead girl? The father and mother, 
the three disciples, Jesus, that's six, but the seventh, the perfect, the Holy Spirit was there. The Holy Spirit was there. There were a father, mother believing, three disciples believing, Christ believing, and the Holy Spirit was there to work the miracle. God's perfect number seven, completion. Not that that means anything, but just a side note to you. Look at this. And the Bible says he kicked them all out, <clears throat> wouldn't let anyone go except the, the parents and his disciples. When they came inside, he went to where the little girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. And they were overwhelmed, totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone. Now, let me, let me share something with you here at the end of the miracle. This is huge. Because you'd think to yourself, right? You'd think to yourself, listen, now that the miracle's taken place, we should go tell all those people. And we should tell all those, you know, go back and all put it in their face. And Jesus strictly charged them not to tell anyone what had happened. Not to tell everyone what happened. Why is that? Not everybody is qualified for your testimony. In fact, the Bible says, do not cast your pearls before swine. Do not cast your pearls before swine. And one of the things that happens is if you start going to discuss everything that God's done for you, there's people that'll sit there and try to discount it even after it's done. Well, you know, brother, she wasn't really dead. And, you know, she probably was just in a bad coma, really, is all that happened. She woke up. And, you know, I know you like to call it a miracle, but it was really just science at work. No, no. I refuse to go and share the pure, wonderful, supernatural things God has done in my life with mockers. They don't hold, they have no part in my life and hopefully none in yours. If you want to see March, become one of the months that you like you've never seen it is time to start supernaturally guarding the anointing of God that is in your home it's not for everybody it's not up for debate with anybody it's not for anybody to comment on it's not your business this is my home it's the anointing God's given us if you don't like it go somewhere else and, and, you know, it is hard. I saw people in the comments section, it's hard when it's your immediate family. It is hard with your immediate family. But can I tell you one of the things that destroys marriages, destroys homes, destroys children, is that you've got family that think they have the right to come into your private life and start to dictate to you what you should do, what you shouldn't do, talk you out of miracles, talk you out of blessing. If you're a wife watching me today, or if you're a husband watching me today, your in-laws are not supposed to be governing what's happening in your own personal home. I've seen more marriages destroyed because there's not a clean separation when people get married and then they're being controlled and they've got a, a, a mother-in-law or a father-in-law or somebody that's coming in trying to, everything's controlled and everything's, they're all up in your business and they're all telling you what you should and shouldn't do. And your home is your home and it's got to be guarded. And the anointing in your home has got to be guarded. And so you have to understand that there are 
people, first of all, let's go beyond family. There are people that will even call themselves your friends that don't have the faith that you have or that you're operating uh, at that level. They, they may not have that. They come in and start trying to speak doubt and speak unbelief. And they bring their negative confession into your home and their doubt and unbelief into your home. Let me tell you something. That needs to be cut off. And you may love them. And you, you need to have a talk with them. Listen, I believe it. If you don't believe it, keep your opinion to yourself. Jesus had to do it. I mean, think about the fact that Jesus couldn't even use all of his disciples in this, in this circumstance. Couldn't do it. He had to leave them behind. I mean, that's crazy. He, they were filled with his power and he had to leave them behind. And so there are gonna be some people in your own personal life that at a certain point, you're gonna have to leave behind because they're not, they refuse to go where you go. Let me just tell you something. All of the quote unquote friends that I had even in ministry when I started, many of them are nowhere to be found in 2020. Why? Some have fallen to the wayside. Some aren't serving the Lord anymore, literally. I don't know how that's possible. They went from, uh, you know, ministering on behalf of God to the to the point of not even serving God. Have no idea how that happened to them. But some of them aren't serving the Lord. Some of them have fallen away from the message of faith. They don't even believe in the message of signs, wonders, miracles, faith in God's word anymore. Some of them are, are not even, uh, they, they, they even reject now the message of the Holy Spirit's baptism, the infilling. They've become cessationists. And so understand things change, but I'm not, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to get romantic about it and be like, well, he's been my friend for so many years. You think I'm going to keep people around and say, you know what? He's been my friend for a lot of years. And, you know, I know he mocks the Holy Spirit now. And I know he doesn't believe that speaking in tongues, he believes speaking in tongues is demon possession. And, you know, I know, but you know what? We've been friends for so long. Tough. You can't remember this. My number one friend is the Holy Ghost. Your number one friend is the Holy Ghost. It's not a person. It's the Spirit of God. He is your number one friend. The Bible says he sticks closer than a brother, number one. And then number two, the Bible says he was sent as your comforter. Comforter. So you, you actually have somebody that leads you, guides you into all truth. He comforts you, strengthens you. He's my number one friend, not a person. Not a person. You know why marriages fail? Because people put their husband and wife above God. That doesn't get talked about a lot, but I'm going to talk about it today. People put their husband, my wife is not above Jesus. My wife is not above the Holy Spirit. My wife is not above Jehovah, God the Father. They are first, she is second, and she knows that. I'm not above the Trinity in her life. That would be foolish because I'm going to prioritize a person over God himself. It's stupid. And so what happens is, and let me give you a practical example of what happens. People prioritize their husband or wife over the Lord, and then they wonder why their marriage failed. They wonder why, because you didn't put God first. God has to be first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these things will be added unto you. So I understand that. So you, you, you have to catch this today. If I put my wife first, what kind of things would happen? What would that look like practically if I put my wife first over God? I'll tell you what it would look like. 
Uh, and we've even talked about it. There's a place that I really want to take my wife. There's a place down close to the Florida Keys, um, beautiful historic hotel, and they do uh, a phenomenal brunch that's like nationwide famous. It's nationwide famous. Um, and everything you can imagine is on that brunch buffet. Uh, you know, huge crab legs, stone crab claws, lobster tail, uh, all the breakfast that you want, all the pastries that you want. It's it's a phenomenal and expensive brunch. And, and, and people fly in from all around the country to go to this brunch. But the only time you can get it is on a Sunday morning afternoon. And it's still probably, what, an hour and a half, an hour away from where we live. And it ends at a certain time. Well, me putting my wife above God would be like, well, you know, the Lord understands. We're going to just skip church this Sunday so I can finally take her to this brunch that we've both been, been wanting to go to. There is no brunch and no favor that I will do for my wife that's ever going to take the place of God in our lives. That would be foolish. Say, well, God, we're just going to just reject your house this morning. I know, I know you understand, Lord. You know, we're in church all the time. So we can go eat a brunch? I mean, you think, and when I say it now, it sounds goofy to you. It sounds foolish. But people do that kind of stuff all the time. Travel baseball? Literally, you're going to put travel baseball over the Lord and then wonder why kids walk away from God at the age of 18? Because you and I have taught them that church is good, but it's not as important as travel baseball, football games. It's not as important as going to basketball. It's not as important as going on your... And we've taught a generation that guarding the anointing doesn't matter. We've taught a generation that cultivating the anointing of God and putting him first in your home just doesn't matter. And we wonder, well, how come we have... Why do we have a, a generation of people that doesn't see miracles? Because we've taught them that it doesn't matter. Oh, church will be there when you need it. But while you're young, get that travel baseball in. Your kid's not going pro. Let me just be the first to break it to you. He's not going pro. If he does, praise God. But listen, if you'll put him in church and keep him faithful to the house of God, guess what? If he does go pro, he'll be the one that still gives honor and glory to God, still serves the Lord, still tithing and giving, still faithful, doesn't cheat on his wife. You see what I mean? Putting God first. I'm not going to go down and, and skip church so I can go down and have a brunch and eat a stone crab claw. I mean, you see what I mean? And people do this. Well, you know, my husband and my wife is first. My children are first. Good, good luck with that. Good luck with that. Because the Lord is first. The Lord is first. And if you want to see signs, wonders, miracles, the best you've ever seen, you put God first always in your home. David was so intelligent to understand. I'm not just going to be the king. I need the anointing in the kingdom. So what are we going to do? We're going to bring back the anointing of God in the Ark of the Covenant. And he left it for three months. And I love it because when he got to the place where three months had passed, the Bible says, and let me take you to it, uh, then verse 12 of 2 Samuel 6, 12. Then King David was told, the Lord has blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household and everything he has 
because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of the God back from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with a great celebration. You should always celebrate the fact that the anointing's in your home. You should always, don't ever be ashamed of the anointing. Don't be ashamed you're filled with the Holy Ghost. Don't be ashamed you speak in tongues. Don't be ashamed that you're a tither and a giver and that you praise God. Don't be ashamed of that. I can't imagine, there's my friend Olga, love you. I can't imagine in 2020 being a person with everything else that people are not ashamed of in 2020 and then me having to be ashamed because I'm a Holy Ghost filled, tongue talking, devil casting out preacher. Christian. I have to be I have to be ashamed of that in this generation. Let me just tell you something. People aren't ashamed of anything. I was just preaching outside of Atlanta, Georgia in January, and I was anointing the entire church with oil on the final night. Here comes a dude through the crowd, through the prayer line, bigger than me, like 6 foot 6, square jaw, big Adam's apple, coming through full he was in a dress full makeup, fingernails, wig, coming through high heels, coming through the prayer line with his hands raised. He's not ashamed, literally, to come to church in drag and come through, I identify as a woman, to have hands laid upon him. And and we did lay hands on him. Understand, and believing God would deliver him and help him. But, you know, he wasn't ashamed to come into the church looking like that. And I'm supposed to be ashamed that I'm Holy Ghost filled. You got people that are coming to church in drag and they're not ashamed. And I'm supposed to be ashamed. You got people that are marching in the streets with vagina hats on in their protests and sitting there. And I'm supposed to be ashamed that I'm full of the Holy Ghost. People are nuts. If you think I'm going to be ashamed of the anointing and the power of God. And then you've got to move that's happening among the church, literally among the church, Christians trying to shame other Christians for being too Pentecostal. This is happening. If you don't know it's happening, it's happening. Happening right now. Well, brother, you know, we don't do those kinds of things in our church because, you know, we like to focus uh, on visitors you know, we like to fo- focus on, on visitors and what the visitors may think. And uh, that's why churches don't have any power in them. Because you've turned church into a show rather than a move of God. Well, brother, you know, we want to be very mindful of um, of the visitor that's there. Uh, you know, we want to make sure that they... How about be mindful of the Holy Ghost since it's his house in the first place? How about be mindful of what he wants in a service? Versus what a a sinner wants. I mean, this is how stupid many leaders have become. Think about how stupid this is. And I'm going to break it down so you can clearly see how stupid it is. Rather than consulting the Holy Spirit about what he wants in a service, we are consulting the unbeliever that is a visitor. What would they want in a service? Like, are you kidding me? I'm going to consult an unregenerated sinner who's on their way to hell, whose spirit cannot even know the things of God, the Bible says. Their foolishness to them. I'm going to consult an unbeliever as to what they would like to have in a service and then form my service around what an unregenerated sinner wants 
Well, what would they want? Well, they would, number one, not want to ever feel any conviction for anything that they're doing wrong. So let's take out preaching on sin, which has been done already. Let's not preach on sin or the dangers of sin or repentance for sin or sorrow for sin. So that message is being removed in many churches. Let's not ever let the Holy Spirit manifest because when he manifests, he draws people to God, which is what the Bible says his job is. No man can be saved unless the Spirit draws him. And so, you know, don't let's take out the moving of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, the signs, wonders, manifestations, because that would make visitors uncomfortable. Let me give you a heads up, genius. Visitors need to get uncomfortable. If you can go to a church for a year and sit in the services as a sinner and never feel the conviction to change, that's not a church. That's not a church. Let me tell you what the Bible says about the last days. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me just read you the whole five verses, just so you can just get a picture of what we're living in in 2020. You should know this is Paul writing to his son in the gospel, Timothy, the last letter Paul ever wrote. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. People will love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud. Oh, really? This was written all those 2,000 years ago almost? Really? Really? Sounds like it was written yesterday. Boastful and proud scoffing at God, mocking God. That's today. Scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents. I'm not even gonna get into that. Ungrateful, that's today. They will consider nothing sacred. Are you hearing that? They will consider nothing sacred. You would not even see 10 years ago. Go back to 2010. You would not see Someone come through a prayer line in a church during a revival service in full drag 10 years ago, nobody would have believed it if you said it. They would not have believed it. 20 years ago, in the year 2000, if you said we got people coming through the prayer line in full drag, nobody would have believed you. We're coming to the end. The Bible says they'll consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. No self-control. We have shows on television now. My 900-pound life or whatever it is. No self-control. They'll be cruel and hate what is good. That's today. They'll betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. It's happening today. That's why golf courses are packed on Sundays and churches are empty. That's why places that serve brunches on Sunday are packed and churches are empty. Why? People love pleasure rather than God. Verse five, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. That's the Bible. I said, don't, well, you know, brother, just keep on fellowshipping with them. No, stay away from people like that. That's why I'm preaching what I'm preaching to you today. 
Stay away from people that are like that. What does it say? They'll have a form of godliness, but they'll actually deny the power that could really make them godly. The Holy Ghost. That's today. Stay away from people like that. And churches all across America, Europe, and around the world are sacrificing the power of God for entertainment. They carry no anointing, no power of the Holy Ghost to change. They have Number one, they're not seeing conversions. They're not seeing conversions. The average church in America this year will not see one conversion. 80-some percent of churches won't see one. They're not seeing any healings, no miracles, no breakthroughs, no deliverances, no baptisms in the Holy Spirit. What's happening then? What are they doing besides having at the movies series? Let me just tell you something. And God bless every, if I have friends that have done at the movies series, God bless you. But if I ever have to do an at the movies series to get people to come to church, if I've ever felt like I've exhausted the word of God enough to have to play a clip from the matrix or a clip from, you know, uh, gladiator or, you know, whatever it is so that I can be more relevant to the people. Because man, if we show a clip of the matrix and then show how it represents God, it's like, are you kidding me? How about get into your Bible, catch on fire, have a message that actually matters, actually matters, that changes lives. And I, and I don't mind being bold about it at all. I'm willing to talk about this and say it boldly because it needs to be said. It needs to be said. In America, in Europe, around the world, people need to hear it. Yeah, they say stupid crap like that that Bridges wrote. We believe God's a healer, but if he doesn't heal you, he'll give you the grace to get through the sickness. It doesn't sound much like you believe anything. It's ridiculous. And we have leaders that have never been trained, no impartation, which is why I'm releasing a book on impartation in a few weeks. No impartation, no power. And there's nothing happening. Nothing happening. And, and all the churches have become is nothing but like literal social clubs. We get together, we have a good time. What it wasn't that an inter if I hear one one more person tell me how fun God is, isn't church fun? Isn't God fun? No, he's not fun. He's he's all powerful. It's like people are they've lost their freaking minds. Isn't God fun? Isn't church so fun? I'm not saying you shouldn't have fun in church. I'm saying like they've got this such a carnal view of, of what God does. Man, we're going to have such a fun time today in church, everybody. Just touch your neighbor. Tell them we're going to have such a fun time. It's going to really, what a fun day we had today. Wasn't that fun today? It's like, what, what are you, six? We just got to jump in the ball pit and into the bounce house. Wasn't that fun in the spirit? We just jumped. It's like ridiculous. What is this, a kindergarten birthday party? We are there to have our lives changed to have destinies literally altered by the power of the Holy Ghost. It's, it's not a kid's birthday party. It's the presence of the Most High God. Stop dumbing down the power of God because there's someone there who's not saved. So we don't speak in tongues because, and let me give you an exact, an exact um, example because this is used all the time. Well, brother, you know, we don't speak in tongues in our services because, you know, we have a lot of unbelievers coming. You know, we don't get, want, want them to get freaked out. Oh, really? Because Paul the Apostle wrote by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and said, tongues are not a sign to those that believe, 
but to those who do not believe. So one of the main reasons God has given us the gift of speaking in tongues is that it is a sign to unbelievers. So what you're saying, the actual reason that they list that they don't want to speak in tongues is the actual reason that God gave us speaking in tongues. How dumb is that? Well, I know, I know the Lord said that he gave us that so that we could have a sign for unbelievers, but we don't want to do it because we have unbelievers. Like, that's stupid. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. And if you're in a church that is a seeker-sensitive church, uh, in case you think I've gotten off topic, I haven't. I started with your house, cultivating the anointing in your house, and now we're talking about cultivating the anointing in God's house. So understand, if you have got your house in order, but for some reason you're still attending a church that will not cultivate the anointing of God, get out of that church and go to one where they value the anointing of God. Go to one where, you know what blows my mind? We just finished Signs and Wonders Camp Meeting here in um, South Florida. My father preached Bishop Rick Thomas. This was, this was the, the camp meeting we just had last week. People will come to the revival. Bishop's already said it. He's talked to me about it. Others have said it. Bishop uh, has prayed for people healed. My father prayed for people healed. I've prayed for And you know, people say, well, you know, it's nice to be here at the camp meeting, but you know, I don't, I don't go to this church. So I'm so glad you did this event because the church I go to doesn't believe in healing, but I came here and was able to get healed. Uh, newsflash, why are you still in that other church that's across town? You got a miracle here. This is where you were healed. This is where you were saved. This is where you were delivered. This is where you were set free. And you keep going back to a dead place where they don't even believe in it. You weren't helped there. You were helped here. Why are you still going there? Like, I just want to shake people at some point and be like, hello, wake up. Why are you still there? Why are you still attending a dead place that in 20 years couldn't do for you what God did in this house because we cultivate his anointing here. Oh, but you know, I've gone there for so long. So? What a ridiculous reason to continue to go somewhere. I'm blown away. But I said that to say this. March can be the greatest month you've ever seen if you'll cultivate the anointing in your home. Cultivate it. Put it first. I know we, a lot of people like to say they put it first. But are you truly doing that? Are you truly putting it first? What I mean by that is this. Are you making sure that you live a God-first mentality in your home with your kids? Put him first. I love this now because my daughters, they come downstairs First thing they do in the morning, they open their Bibles and read them. That's the kind of house I want to have. You know what my wife does when she gets up early in the morning? First thing she does after she makes her coffee and sits down, she grabs her Bible and reads it, studies it. I thank God for a godly wife. Look at this, Jeremiah. I know this man personally and I've known him for a long time, Jeremiah Franks. He drives one and a half hours to church. But that's one way, right? Right, Jeremiah? That's, that's just one way drive. And he plays the drums 
from my uncle in Sings at my uncle's church in West Virginia, his father, their family. Is, isn't that an hour and a half from Elkins one way or is that round trip? I can't remember because it's been so long since I've done the drive. But they're there every single Sunday. Yeah, that's one way. So that's three hours every weekend that they drive to church. Three hours. Three hours. So you think about that. Putting God first, well, we could just go to a, No, they drive and they're a part of a church that builds their faith, that stirs their spirit. And, he, and look what he's, his testimony, worth every second. Putting God first. I like that, Billion. No mockery march. That's right. I refuse to be mocked out of my blessing. I refuse to be mocked out of the anointing. Mockers can leave. I'll shut them out like Jesus did. Not because I, I hate them or because I, no, but, but there has to be wisdom. There's got to be wisdom. If I'm believing for a miracle, I don't want people around me telling me, well, don't get your hopes up on a miracle. I've got my hopes up. And faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. I will have what I say in Jesus' name. I'll have it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And so I want you to hear this with me today. It's going to be your month of breakthrough. It's going to be your month that's going to eclipse all other months in Jesus' name. It's going to eclipse. Why? God first mentality in your home. I thank God for children that get up and first thing read the word. My wife that reads the word. This is a house where we cultivate the anointing. We pray in tongues in this house. We, we, listen to me, we live by these principles in this house daily. We don't go around speaking what everybody else is speaking. You'll never, let me just say this. The only time you're ever gonna hear it is because I'm giving you the example of it right now on the broadcast. You will never hear in this house, man, I hope, I hope we never get the coronavirus. They're starting to show now people in California in neighborhoods that never traveled and weren't in contact with people that traveled that are now reporting cases of coronavirus. Man, I hope that doesn't come here. I hope it doesn't come into this house. You'll never hear me say something like that. I laugh just thinking about saying something like that because it's so outside of our character. We would never, we would never allow our confession to go there and disregard what the Bible says and say something foolish like that. Never. You know what I say? A thousand may fall at my side, 10,000 at my right hand, but these things will not touch me. Can't touch me. Things, viruses, bacteria, sicknesses, diseases die when they touch my body. They die when they touch my family's body. They don't live. They don't thrive in this house, even in this house. Viruses and bacteria and sicknesses and diseases, when they come onto my property, they die. You're not going to sit, hear me sitting around, bad confessions. I hope we make it this year. I will exceed what we did last year this year because I honor God with my, my, my mouth and my words. That's right. It dies at my doorstep and wherever my foot treads. It will not come into my house. It won't come into my body. It's like I heard a preacher say one time. He said, uh, I want to be so full of the Holy Ghost that if a mosquito were to bite me, it would fly away singing there's power in the blood. <laughs> and John G. Lake had a revelation of that. He had the revelation that we are filled with the life of God, the law of life in Christ. That's your story. This is gonna be your month of increase like you've never seen as you put God first. Where do you put him first? You put him first in reading his word. You put him first in prayer. You put him first in praise. 
You put him first in attending his house, gathering together as believers in church. You put him first then. Don't let things come above those things. Listen to me. Don't let things come above your reading the word. Don't let things come above your prayer life. Don't let things come above your praise life. Don't let things come above you attending church faithfully. Don't let things come above those things. You can't do it. You cannot do it. You've got to put God first. And finally, financially, if you're believing for that, put him first in your giving life. Put him first in your giving life. I don't allow other things to get in the way of my giving life. You understand? I would rather, let me give you an example, and God would never do this because of how he operates, but I would rather go without things for myself so that I could sow seed into the kingdom of God. Now, let me tell you my absolute true position on this. Absolutely true, I promise you. You ask my wife, I promise you. I'm as hardcore as it gets on this. People ask me all the time, you know, well, you realize we have bills to pay. And, you know, if we, if we you know, blah, 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 then, you know, what do you think about tithing? over? This is what I tell people. You hear what I say and you look into my eyes and know that I tell you the absolute truth because this is how hardcore. If I had to make a decision between whether my kids would eat tomorrow or whether we would pay our tithes, my kids and I and my wife would be fasting and God would have his tithes. I promise you that. I promise you that. If it came down to that, and it never will because I have that attitude. It never will because I honor God. I will always walk in abundance. My children will always be provided for. I will always have more than enough. I will always be in the overflow. We will always see the excess. We'll even have more trash than other people on our block. In Jesus' name. (laughs) That's how much I'm going to exceed the norm. But if it came down to it, God would be first, we would be last. God would be first, we would be last. But that's me removing from the equation the increase of heaven because of our obedience. God would never allow that to happen. His word is full of promises that are based on covenant that if you give, it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will he cause men to give into your bosom. If they'll only obey and serve me, they'll spend their days in prosperity, their years in pleasures. Job 36, 11. Uh, God will, will, will withhold no good thing from those that walk uprightly. Psalm 84, 11. You can go, I, I can take you through the whole Bible. Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. It'll never happen like that. But even if there was no supernatural benefit, if it was God first, He would always be first. We would always be last. But remember this for the rest of your life. If you put God first, he will put you first. If you put God first, he will put you first. You could even write that in the comments today. If I put God first, he will put me first. That's a God first mentality. It's got to be in our homes. We can't put God. God's not our hobby. Church is not our hobby. It's not something that we can do when we get around to it. That's not, no, he's number one in my life. He's number one in my life. You know, one of the reasons back when I had my own business, when I was running my own design firm and graphics firm, doing stuff for everybody, politicians, corporations, individuals that had entrepreneurial businesses, whatever, everybody, 
Word of mouth got around so much. God blessed that business so much. I had to shut it down. I want you to think about this. God blessed my business so much. I had to shut it down. I want you to think about that. See, why would you shut it down if God was blessing it? Because I'm not called to be a businessman. I'm called to be a preacher. I'm called to be a preacher. And I was doing ministry and I had so much work coming in that I literally just put on the website an under construction splash page and like literally, because I was like, you know, this I, I, I have to do what God called me to do. Not, And you know what my goal was even in the time that I was doing that? It, it was to have a business to even bring in funds to be a sower. I wanted to be a larger sower. So what did I do? I put God first. My whole purpose was for the business to bring in funds to be a larger sower than I'd ever been in my whole life. And God so blessed it. I can remember, I was like blown away because you think like I didn't have any billboards up, no television commercials, no radio commercials, no nothing. It's just people started contacting me from everywhere to do everything. Why? I put God first. If you'll even think about this with your business, those of you that have businesses or maybe businesses on the side or you're starting a business, if you will dedicate yourself to put God first in your business, check this, he will put your business first. If you make it known unto God that he will be put first in your business, he will put your business first. If he knows that in your heart, because why? Because the Bible says he gives seed to the sower. He gives seed to the sower. So he will violently increase your business because you are honoring him out of your business. If you're pulling seeds out of your business, sowing them in the kingdom, trust me when I tell you, he will put your business first. If he sees that it's a kingdom building tool, he'll put your business first. And one of the things that I'm asking God to do in 2020, and specifically as we hit this month of March, is to make this a month of miracles in your finance, a month of miracles in your finance. I'm asking God and believing God that crazy things would happen for you in March, crazy things. As crazy as what I gave you the testimony of the man from uh, January who was in the meeting with us in Atlanta who said, I signed one contract today and tripled my income, tripled my income for the year on one contract. I'm asking God that crazy things happen for you in March, like that man had happened in January, that this would be a month of financial explosion for you, for your business, for your family, for your ministry. I'm asking God, and we're going to pray in just a minute, and then we're going to sow a seed by faith to ensure this is my month of financial explosion. Why? Because we're setting our faith for it. Not because March is any different than any other month. It's not a special season of blessing. It's not a special prophetic moment where the God's opening up the veil of finance. Nothing like that. It's because we're setting our faith and we can have what we say and we can activate the power of God by obeying his word faithfully. And why do we do it? We set a time and say, God, I'm going to honor you. I'm going to present unto you my best to receive your best. So I want you to pray with me. Bow your head wherever you're watching and let us pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I want you to speak to every man, every woman. We're asking you, let this be our month 
of violent financial increase in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Let this be the year our businesses take off. Let March be the month that it kickstarts, that we have more sales, more orders, more contracts than we've ever had in a single month in the history of our lives. Let our ministries explode. Let our opportunities explode. Let the doors open on every side. Let this be a month of violent increase in our finances in the mighty name of Jesus. Now, Lord, speak to every man and woman watching and now give them an instruction that will bring them into that kind of explosive growth, bring them into that kind of increase in the mighty name of Jesus. We thank you and give you praise. Amen. Listen, take a moment, sow a seed today. I was a little longer with you guys today. I felt the anointing on the teaching. And uh, you know what? I make my own schedule. So you know what? There's nobody on after me. So I can go as long as I want. Hallelujah. Um, take a minute and sow a seed. This is an important moment. If let me, let me just encourage you, and I've never done this, but I'm doing it today because I feel to. If you have a business, if you have a business, as I was exhorting you about the business that I had, if you've got your own business as an entrepreneur, sow a seed from your business today and watch what happens with your business. That's exactly it. There's my friend, Pastor Joel Toller. Five minutes of favor beats five de decades of labor. Absolutely right. And I love that because that lines exactly up with what David said. And if you think about the psalmist who wrote in Psalm 8410, better is one day in your courts than a thousand anywhere else. Why? Because in God's courts, in his presence, he can do more than men can do in a thousand years. Thank you for sowing, Joel. Love you. I'm telling you that this is our month of violent increase financially. And so if you've got a business, I want to encourage you today to sow from that business and expect God to increase you violently in the month of March. Those of you that are watching, you can go to miracleword.com and sow a seed through the website there or partner with our ministry. Uh, of course, we have PayPal available. Cash App is available. Venmo is available. The information's on the screen. Or if you're watching on uh, Periscope or Facebook, uh, you can actually put hashtag donate right in the comments as others have been doing and sow a seed directly uh, from the comments section without ever having to leave the broadcast. Thank you, Britt. Britt said, I'm sowing from my business, cake me away. She has a phenomenal business that God gave her uh, to make cake pops. And I'm, and I'm telling you, I've, I've had these from Starbucks, other places. She is crushing it. She is crushing it. She made me and baked me a whole Tupperware full of cake pops. Let me tell you a funny story of how good these cake pops are. I'm taking these back through the airport to my family. I'm flying home to see my girls and, and my son and my wife. And I'm carrying this Tupperware of cake pops through the airport because I have to carry it on. And I pull one on, like eating it. It's like so moist, so good. First of all, I don't understand how she keeps them so moist. Like these are like the most phenomenal cake pops ever. And I didn't even have TSA pre-check at the time. I had I had not had it. And so the line was long, but the, they motioned. They motioned me over to them. And so I come over to the TSA agents and they're like, um, you have pre-check? I was like, no. They're like, listen, we're going to let you through. Can we get one of them cake pops? <laughs> and literally the cake me away cake pops 
opened doors for me in the security line at the airport. And I just, I, I, I gave two of those uh, cake pops to the TSA agents. They looked happy, which you can tell by right in and of itself is a miracle when a TSA agent looks happy. They looked happy and uh, they were, they were very, very glad to get those, but it's true. I got through, <laughs> I got through in security just by using cake me away cake pops and uh, man, are they ever good. Uh, Finder online. What do you have an online store, Britt, for those cake pops or how do they place an order with you online? They're so good. Everybody should be able to experience those. Listen, those of you that are partnering with us, um, we want to send you, of course, we've, we've mentioned this. I'm holding Brit's Bible today that owns Cake Me Away. This is her and her family's uh, life application study Bible. I love these Bibles, and we're going to be sending one to you uh, for those that are sewing $1,000 or more this month of March. We're going to be sending this to you as our gift to you, uh, signing it to you. I love these study Bibles. They're one of my favorite tools now uh, in personal study. There's so much content inside these with notes and uh, profiles and timelines and maps and histories and, and themes. It's it's a phenomenal starting point for study. Very deep stuff. And then for those of you, uh, I want to do this this month and I talked to uh, some people this morning about doing it. For those of you that are sewing $85 or more this month in the month of March, this is one of my favorite books that I have in my library. It is a book by Brother A.A. Allen, who was a phenomenal, phenomenal healing evangelist during the Voice of Healing, he wrote a book entitled The Price of God's Miracle Working Power. This book is so powerful because there was a time in his life where he didn't feel like he was having any results for the kingdom. The healings were not happening. He just wasn't seeing it take place. And he said, Lord, I want you to show me. I'm going to fast and pray until you show me how to have the miracles, signs, and wonders I'm believing for. He began to fast and pray in his prayer closet, and Jesus appeared to him and gave him a list of things that he needed to do in order to see signs, wonders, and miracles. After that encounter took place, his ministry exploded with the most amazing creative signs, wonders, miracles you've ever seen. I, I'll show videos, videos of them this month. Powerful. And that book became The Price of God's Miracle Working Power. We're going to send you a copy of that book this month. It will change your life as it's changed mine. Uh, very, very powerful teaching. And we're going to bless everybody that sows $85 or more this month as a partner. We're going to be sending you that as a blessing to you. Uh, she said the way to get a, get a hold of them, if you want cake pops, if your mouth started watering when I talked about it, it's at CakeMeAway614, uh, and that's on Facebook and Instagram. I'll put it in the comments for those, those of you to see if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, there it is right there. At CakeMeAway614 uh, on Instagram and on Facebook. It wouldn't hurt you to have a few. Even if you're on a diet, they're anointed cake pops and uh, they're delicious. Yeah, it's a phenomenal book. Uh, of course, those of you, if you already have the book, we'll, we're happy to send you something else that's on the list uh, in the offers. But I just want to let you know, it is, it is one of the books that changed my life in ministry uh, forever, literally. Billion said, you should invest in Miracle Word Kids for your preschoolers. 
We have plans uh, to expand Miracle Word Kids uh, in the near future, and we're working on doing uh, all kinds of things and even curriculums. Maybe in the future for VBS, we'd love to do our own curriculum. Um, I'm getting ready to even write uh, fictional uh, adventure stories uh, for Miracle Word Kids. I'm very excited about that. The first one will be out this year, and I'm ready. I'm very ready and excited to start that series. So as soon as Further Faster comes out, uh, we're going to be starting on that series for Miracle Word Kids. I'm very excited. They're going to be about the size of the Goosebumps books. If you guys remember that series that was done by R.L. Stein back in the day, um, we're going to try to make them the same size and length uh, as those books were. Uh, and just get your kids reading stuff that's faith-based, Holy Ghost fiction uh, that's interesting to read and actually good. I was very surprised at how little uh, Christian fiction there is available for our kids, even for adults. I'm like, that always blows my mind. So I felt to start jumping in and doing it uh, as well. So we're going to be producing those as a series, which I'm, I'm, I'm super pumped up about. So it's awesome. Let me say a big thank you to every person that has... Uh, been sowing into the ministry. We love you guys so much. And uh, if you didn't get a chance to go to miraclewordkids.com, download the March Bible reading mission. We're going through the book of Proverbs this month, uh, and it's going to be a blessing. We've already had kids writing back with their memory verses and sending in videos. Uh, and then also, we've had people that are writing in from Taiwan, Australia, the UK, Italy, all over the place that are joining us on Miracle Word Kids. Uh, it's, it's awesome. And so we want you guys to be involved too. It's absolutely free to join and be a part of just go to miraclewordkids.com and, uh, and you can, and you can be a part of it and download the resources for the month. And then of course, if you've not done so yet, don't forget our brand new course, mountain moving faith is available at Miracle Word University. And of course, we put together a bundle of all four courses for only $199. That's $50 a month over four months if you'd like to do it that way as well. That's getting a course for free, 28% off. Uh, and it's it's going to be a massive blessing to you. If you want to get in touch with uh, and find out more about Miracle Word U, all you have to do is go to Miracle Word U, the letter U, dot com. And, uh, and you can create an account for free and then you can purchase what you'd like. The, the courses will bless you in a massive way. I love you guys so much. Listen, this is very important. This week, my father's here with me. My mother's here. I'm going to have my father join me tomorrow and Wednesday, most likely, uh, to talk to you about some things. One of the things I wanted to ask him about was, uh, what are some mistakes over the years you've seen ministers and Christians make that have kept them from uh, what God wants for them, the miracles, signs, wonders, the breakthroughs, the blessings. And so my father's going to be joining me tomorrow. Do not miss it. 10.30 a.m. and most likely Wednesday as well. 10.30 a.m. It's going to be awesome. I love you guys so much. Thanks for hanging with me today. And uh, I'll see you again uh, in the morning tomorrow. Maybe we'll take some questions. So if you have questions as well uh, for me or for my father, get them ready. Get them ready and then uh, pop them up and uh, we'll look forward to answering those as well. Love you guys so much. Have a great one and I'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.